Hello, I'm glad you've joined us online today. In this series, we've been looking at how to deal with the crook in our lot. Everybody has a crook in their lot. The general outline for this series is based on a book called The Crook in the Lot by Thomas Boston. He was a pastor in the 1700s, and he wrote this book, and it's extremely helpful even for today. A crook is not a criminal. The way Boston used the term, a crook is a crooked thing in your life that you wish would be straightened out. It's an abiding trial that is a part of your lot in life, what you have to deal with in life. The main passage for this series comes from Ecclesiastes 7.13. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? Today I want to talk about the best response to the crook or crooked place in your life. There's a lot riding on your response to God as you deal with the crook in your lot. And that's a major understatement, frankly. Our response to the Lord will either make or break us. Humility is the best response. However, humility is rare in our world. It shows up in all kinds of ways and all kinds of vocations. Arrogance is the norm. And I'll mention why in a moment. It shows up in sports of all kinds. Here it is in mixed martial arts. Conor McGregor says, any top level athlete, it's always the same. There's always that hint of arrogance, maybe more than a hint, I would say. It's hard to be humble when you're the best. Here's a businessman who is the ambassador of awesome. Have you ever known anybody with that kind of attitude? This senator is so arrogant that he says, I am the senator. You are the citizen. You need to be quiet. In the U.S., the way our government is set up, Politicians are supposed to work for the people, but arrogance being the norm, it's this idea is often lost that we, that politicians serve the people, the citizens. It's rare to find professional athletes, businessmen, or politicians who are humble. It's difficult even to find a single person on earth who consistently chooses humility. And we must choose humility because arrogance is native to us. Here's a passage that tells us why. Ecclesiastes 9.3 This is an evil in all that is done under the sun that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, And madness is in their heart while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. The word madness in this passage is a Hebrew word, hallelah. It sounds kind of like hallelujah, but it's not praising God. It's praising myself. It's self-exaltation or arrogance. Self-exaltation is called madness because it is crazy to go toe-to-toe with God, and he opposes 
the proud. He opposes the arrogant. And so this native arrogance we have to deal with all the days of our life. That's what the verse tells us. This means that we must choose humility against our neighbors. Our our nature, sorry, against our neighbors. (laughs) We should choose humility in relating to our neighbors. But by definition, we're Jesus followers. That's who we are. We're Christians. We're to be little Christ. We're to follow his example. And he was God, but he humbled himself before others, and he served. Philippians said that, says that he emptied himself, taking the very form of a servant, and he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus suffered, and while he suffered, he humbled himself. Christians, like I said, are Christ followers. We shouldn't expect anything different. We should expect to suffer and be humbled. In fact, Jesus told us to expect it if we follow him. Humility helps us accept our the crook in our lot. But pride makes us fight against it. God would often use Old Testament prophets as illustrations. Their, their lives could be an illustration of an important truth, or he would tell them, he would command them to go somewhere and do something that would turn out to be an illustration and instructive for all who read it when it was written and for those in the future. At, at one point, this is what he told the prophet Jeremiah to do. Jeremiah 18, 1 through 6. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel, and the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me. O house of Israel, these, this, this house of Israel is God's people. Can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. God wants his people to be pliable in his hands. In fact, if we harden ourselves against the Lord in pride, he doesn't work with us and we end up being broken by trouble. Plato is something we all work with sometimes, at least I do. I have grandkids in the house. Um, and it's, it's hard to work with when it gets hard, when it's left out and it gets hard. At a certain point, it's impossible to work with. God wants us to be pliable, like fresh Play-Doh, just out of the can. And he wants us to freely cooperate with him. He, In fact, he doesn't coerce obedience in any way. That's why he gave us a will. He made us with a will 
so that we could choose to love him, so that we could choose to cooperate with him freely. And therefore, as we do that, as we love and cooperate, we bring glory to him. And people are drawn to him by the example of our lives. The lesson from Jeremiah going to the potter's house is that God is God and he can do whatever he wants with the people he made. If we harden ourselves against his work in our life in pride and arrogance, it's going to be much more difficult for us. If we humble ourselves, it goes way better. This is the point that Jeremiah was making in his going down to, actually God was making the point as he sent Jeremiah to the potter's house. Since pride is damaging and humility is helpful, let's continue by comparing the proud to the humble. First, let's start with a characteristic of the proud. They resent God for their crook, even if it's their own fault or even if it's a result of their own sin. Cain became jealous when his brother's offering, Abel's offering, was uh, accepted and his was rejected. Uh, jealousy is destructive, and it it led to the first murder on earth. Genesis 4, 6, and 7 says, The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. The proud don't think the rules apply to them in any way, and their disobedience opens them up to harm. Cain gave the leftovers. God wanted him to give the best, the first portion. And he he thought he could get by with that, but that's not enough. It's not how it works. The source of the first murder was comparison and envy. We compare ourselves to others, and we think we deserve better, and then we do damage as a result. In contrast, the humble submit to their lot as just. Job had a serious crook in his lot. He was a wealthy landowner uh, who lost everything. Uh, by God's decree. His livestock were stolen by the Sabians. His adult children were killed by a tornado. And his wife told him at this point to curse God and die. And this is Job's response in Job 2.10. But Job replied, You talk like a foolish woman. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? So in all this, Job said nothing wrong. The humble submit to their lot as just. They they humble themselves before God and accept what he brings, both good and bad. The proud also overvalue themselves. Uh, Romans 12.3 says, Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given you. In a house of mirrors at a carnival, 
your head can be huge <laughs> if you just catch the, the curve the right way. And that's how it is for a proud, the proud. In any given situation, in any circumstance, they are much more important than anybody else. And that's what leads to trouble. And that's what doesn't help them work through trouble very well. If you think you're better than, than you really are, you don't think you deserve trouble. But the reality is life on earth is full of trouble. Heaven is not on earth. It's, we get a taste of heaven on earth, but it's next. It's in the next life after we transition from this one. All humans have trials. If you overflate, inflate your importance, you won't deal with trouble well. The humble, however, have a sane estimate of themselves. Uh, Romans 12.3 says, be honest in your evaluation of yourself. This sets you up to accept both good and bad from the hand of God. You recognize that you don't deserve a better life than anyone else. You're on a level playing field. You put yourself, you choose that, that attitude of being on a level playing field with everybody else. Finally, the proud are discontent with their lot. Habakkuk 2, 4 through 5 says, Look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked. But the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. Wealth is treacherous and the arrogant are never at rest. They open their mouths as wide as the grave. And like death, they are never satisfied. The proud are never satisfied with the amount of their wealth or their status. The passage says they never rest trying to get more of these things. The proud are demanding and want it now. They don't want to wait in line. In fact, they, they're the ones that cut in line because they think they deserve uh, to get it right now, to not have to wait. God is not your servant or mine. He's not a waiter just waiting for us to order up what we need. Those who follow Christ aim to serve God, not, not themselves. In contrast, the humble are satisfied with their lot. Psalm twenty-two twenty-six says, The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. The word afflicted in this passage literally means humble. The, the humble choose to be satisfied with what God gives them. In contrast to the proud, the humble trust in God to bring the good when it's best for them. They, they trust God's timing, in other words. Isaiah 28.16 says, Whoever believes will not be in haste. They're, the, the humble are not impatient. They don't get into haste. But they wait in faith for God to come through with the good. Thomas Boston said, 
There are absolutely no circumstances where humility fails to be preferable to pride. Let all the afflictions in the world attend the humble spirit, and let all the prosperity in the world attend the proud. Humility will still have the better. One reason humility is better is because it allows us to make the most of the usefulness of crooks. There are several uses for crooks that God wants to use them in our lives for uh, instruction, exhortation, and direction. And I'm going to talk about these now. First use is instruction. We, we learn a lot about God and ourselves when we suffer under a crook. In fact, God is trying to get our attention through our trouble so he can teach us a major lesson through it. And it's it's not always best for us to get our way. Humility is required to see the instruction that God wants us to receive. And he he it's clear that he doesn't always get let us get our way. Psalm eighty one eleven through twelve says But my people did not listen to me. Israel did not want me. So I let them go their stubborn way and follow their own advice. This this verse scares me. I don't want God to let me go and follow my own advice. I I get squirrely sometimes in my mind. I don't think too straight, and I don't trust myself. At least when I'm saying I don't trust myself. We should never want God to leave us to follow our own advice. Second use of a crook is exhortation. If you follow Christ and are are serious about it, relief from trials is not the most important thing in each circumstance to you. It's bringing glory to God, which you were made to do. First Peter 5, 6, and 7 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Boston says that a prematurely removed crook is dangerous. We must be patient and wait for God to remove it in his time. A third and final use of a crook is direction. Proverbs 16, 1 and 9 says, People may make plans in their minds, but only the Lord can make them come true. People may make plans in their minds, but the Lord decides what they will do. I talked about Thad's back surgery in my first message of this series, and how families go through things together and God makes the most of the trouble to help everybody. Um, beyond the truth that God burns into our heart through the trouble and the lessons he wants us to learn, he gives direction. Dad was making plans to play major college baseball. It looked like he was able to do that. And he was making plans, hey, if if there's more opportunities beyond college, then 
that'll be great. But God had other plans for that. This is when God confirmed Thad's call into vocational ministry, full-time vocational ministry. God used the crook to direct that. And I, I like to say he put his thumbprint in the small of the, his back where the scar is and redirected his life. He was going one way, but God redirected his life. He wasn't walking away from God, but God used this moment to confirm his call on his life. God makes good use of the crook in your lot and mine if we humble ourselves, if we go before him and let him use it for instruction, exhortation, or directing our lives. Gina Lanthrop, my daughter-in-law, is going to share a testimony now about a trial that she's had to work through this past year. Let's watch this testimony together. Hi, my name is Gina Lanthrop, and my husband Thad is our executive pastor here at Church in the Valley. I was asked to share about a crook in my lot this last year, namely a disease I couldn't cure and surgeries that I did not want. For about 15 years, I had had an autoimmune disease called ulcerative colitis. It basically means that the tissue in the large intestine or the colon in the digestive system tends toward ulcers. And those ulcers would come and go, and the doctors didn't know why. Um, when the ulcers would come, it was called a flare, and it would lead to a whole host of other problems, um, some which could be quite severe. So over time, I experienced malnourishment, anemia, fatigue, um, really limited diet. Um, it at points was really debilitating. Um, I had periods of being homebound and even bedridden. And um, in 2019, a flare put me in the hospital twice. Um, now, at the time of diagnosis, the doctors told me that there was no cure for this disease, um, just treatment for symptoms. The only cure that they could offer was um, to do a surgery to remove the colon. And at that point, they would pull the small intestine through the side and place a plastic ostomy bag on it, and that would create an external system. Oh, and some people with the disease required that. Um, when I heard that, I thought, I do not want to ever be one of those people. Um, so for those 15 years, we prayed for God's healing. Um, we tried to understand what could cause the disease, and I tried a variety of um, natural and medical treatments. Um, some of those had risks for other diseases, um, and at times that the, those treatments would keep the disease at bay. Um, so this brings us to last year. Um, in the spring, another flare started, and by June, I, my health was just spiraling downward fast. Um, I couldn't really eat or ingest much, and in a matter of weeks, I dropped about 30 pounds. Um, I was so weak that I couldn't really move around, so I was pretty much bedridden again. And my mother-in-law and friends took care of my four young children for weeks. And... Um, I was in agony and misery, um, spiritually and physically, emotionally and physically. Um, that was the first time that 
I really felt I could honestly use those words to describe my suffering. I ended up needing to be hospitalized, and I would end up staying at the hospital for a month, during which time I would hardly see my kids and um, have periods of not being allowed visitors due to COVID rules. At the hospital, the doctors told me that I was very malnourished, uh, the medicines were no longer working, and I needed to consider surgery. And there it was, my crook, the thing that this whole time I did not want, and suddenly I was having to face it, the um, death of a hope for healing and the um, life that to me seemed embarrassing and debilitated. Um, I did learn that there were... Um, There was now two additional surgeries they could um, do that would, um, over time, it would remove the need for that external ostomy bag, but those would take months to years to do, and not everybody was successful um, with it. And so this lot I had um, was not what I wanted. The doctors kindly gave us time to think and pray, and I remember laying on my hospital bed, it would just wash over me the waves of grief and the fears and the shame. Um, The grief was just that there was a death of a hope, a hope for healing that would lead to the life I used to have. And um, the fears were, um, I'm sure you can imagine many, but for one, I was in not good shape to have a major surgery. Um, And then the shame was just, this was a, a really humiliating thing. Um, there's no non-embarrassing way to talk about your excretory system, <laughs> no matter how eloquently you try, um, like I'm trying. <laughs> and so to have to face this in such a, a way that I had to talk about it, I mean, for one, how was I going to tell my kids? Um, what would my youngest repeat to other people? Um out in public, how awkward was this going to be? And ultimately, at the root of it, how much did we really have to tell people? Um, because we needed to ask for prayer. Now, in those, um, the weeks leading up to our decision and in the months after, um, God um, brought some things that really helped me um, go through those in a way that um, led me to experience God's grace and um, his rich blessing, um, instead of shriveling up and withering inside, which I was tempted to, and um, how I felt on the outside. The first was that in First Thessalonians 5.18, it says we give thanks in all circumstances. So I needed to um, approach the situation in a way uh, with a thankful attitude, if for no other reason than just to obey scripture. Um, But when I thought about it, there were actually a lot of things I could be thankful for. To name one, my parents had come in town from Texas for a visit um, right before this, and they were able to be with me through the hospital. um, And that was a source of encouragement to me. Um, The second thing that really helped was to play my fears out to the end. And what I mean by that is that I needed to ask myself, what am I afraid of specifically? Um, so for example, I, am I afraid of not making it through the surgery and my kids growing up without their mom? 
And as I got specific, I needed to then ask, even if that happens, is God still good? And because of Romans 8.28, 2 Chronicles 16.34, the answer is always yes. But I needed to agree with that in my heart. And as I did, that let me move forward instead of being paralyzed by fear or shame. Third, after having um, sorted through that truth in my heart, I needed to speak that truth um, to myself and to others and my thoughts and then in what I said. Um, that meant that I really needed to acknowledge the true cries of my heart, but also uh, rem- force myself to remember the um, truth about God and my situation that would have been easy to forget. You know, when I get frustrated, I get tempted to just vent and say how I'm feeling and forget um things that are true about God and his promises, but that just digs me into anger and um, and eventually to despair. And so I needed to um, say things like, God, you are all-powerful, and you love me. And I don't um, know how I can make it through the next six hours feeling the way I do, but you have the ability to carry me through this, and I ask that you would. I trust you. And you would. Um, along with that, I, the fourth was that I needed to speak the truth to others, to be open um, and share. It took a lot of courage um, to tell Thad the just the depths of um, fears, or the fears and the grief and the shame swirling in my heart. Um, but when I did, he had the opportunity, and he did um, just show me an unconditional love, and that was a picture for me in the moment of how God loves me unconditionally and a a great encouragement. And as I shared um, with other friends and family, um, they were able to pray in the moment and pray specifically. And often the feelings would just start to go down right as they prayed. Um, And they were able to help. And if I hadn't shared, been open with others, I wouldn't have been able to receive the help. And that help really shaped my perspective. And the perspective made a big difference on um, who I was on the end, on the other side of the crook. And finally, I needed to focus on others. Um, I needed to focus on Jesus first. Um, he suffered um, humiliation and shame and spiritual and physical agony when he died on the cross for my sin because he loved me so deeply. And God raised him from the dead and exalted him. Um, when I looked at his who he is, my lot looked a lot less worse. But I also needed to focus on the people around me. And that often meant asking, being kind to doctors and nurses, even when I felt crummy, asking them how their day was, even when it was my worst. Um, and surprisingly, several nurses would um, very quickly open up within a matter of minutes about really deep things in their um, lives, they were walking through suffering, and several were actually um, going through infertility. And I was able to share with them my sister and brother-in-law's um, story of um, God leading them through that, and the nurses were encouraged. In fact, one was able to connect with some friends visiting who were walking through the same thing. And as I, um, as that happened, God's word was true. As I tried to refresh others, I was refreshed. Um, I saw that God had me in the hospital for a reason, 
that he was working all these details in a plan that he had, and I could trust him that it was good. And the story of what eventually happened um, in the months that followed is quite long, but the short version is that I ended up needing the surgery a couple weeks into the hospital stay. Um, they, after a month, they discharged me um, twice, and twice I had severe complications and had to go back in within hours to the ER um, because my body felt like it was dying. Um, God provided, though, the whole way, um, and through a lot of God's hard work, he provided for me to see the best surgeon in the region, and in the next six months, I had the final two surgeries that removed um, the need for that ostomy bag. And so I endured pain and complications um, the whole time, but God was also providing exactly what we needed. And he also brought um, blessing through it beyond what we could have imagined. And he used our church and um, our church network to do a lot of that. Our kids, they basically had Christmas in July. So many people brought presents and um, mailed presents. And um, one specific thing that stands out is a couple weeks after I got home from the hospital, it was going to be my son's birthday, my youngest. And I was so weak at that time that um, just sitting in a chair for a couple hours really wiped me out. And so I know there's no way I can do a birthday party. Well, a friend heard about this and decided to gift us um, an all-inclusive, wonderful birthday party for him. And so with me having to do very little, we got to show up. Um, friends helped pull it off and family. We showed up and it was a wonderful day and an amazing party for him. He felt so loved. And uh, that was something that meant so much to me. Um, and CIV helped us in so many other ways. People gave us money to help with hospital bills. They gave us meals and took care of my kids. Some even homeschooled my kids and subjects um, while I was recovering. And, you know, I did end up experiencing God's miraculous healing, just not when or how I wanted, you know, before the surgery or before the suffering and the surgery. Um, but... I no longer have ulcerative colitis. I don't have risk for colon cancer. Um, also, before and during that last surgery, my family all came down with COVID. And though I was really exposed by God's hand, I didn't get it. And I was able to have the surgery. And then they expected after that surgery for there to be up to six months of um, just adjustment and problems. And I could be homebound um, a good part of that time. Um but from the moment that I woke up from surgery, I had zero of those problems. So, Dad and I recently got a date, and we were talking, and realized that we both had been thinking through this question in our mind um, independently. And the question was, if I could change anything about this last year, would I change it? Uh, you know, any part, any, make anything easier, take anything out, make anything easier for the kids. And we had each reached the conclusion independently that, no, we wouldn't change anything. Because our love for God had grown so much through that time. He was so near us, and he is still. And our love for each other had deepened so much. 
and our kids, their faith in God had grown, their experiential knowledge that God is real um, had grown. So how could I, how could I not want those things? Those are the gift of the crook that God had planned long ago for my good. And by his grace, I can say I'm thankful for it. I really appreciate the humility that Jean has shown in just sharing her testimony. And as she worked through the crook in her lot this past year, uh, God made it good for her. God, God worked through it. Humility is always better than pride in general, but especially when we're dealing with a crook in our lot. Will you be pliable like clay that submits to God and allows him to do what seems right to him with your life? It may not be the life you've dreamed of, but it will be the best life you could possibly have. God wants his people to be pliable in his hands. If we harden ourselves against the Lord in pride, he doesn't work with us. But if we humble ourselves, he brings glory to himself and does good by us. I want to suggest some next steps for you today. Uh, here, here they are. And you may have another next step that God's placed on your heart to do, but uh, here are my suggestions. My next step today is to reject pride and submit to my lot as just. Maybe you're struggling with a lot in your life, uh, a crook in your lot, and you, you, you need to wrestle with God. You need to wrestle before God with that crook. Another step would be stop overvaluing myself and get a sane estimate of me. Another step, stop being discontent with my lot and be satisfied with it. Another step, a final step, surrender to God and let him use my lot for his purpose. And you may want to circle one of these for instruction, exhortation, or direction. Either circle it in your mind or if you're taking notes, um, circle it on the paper. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for the fact that you don't waste trouble in our lives. You are faithful to, to train us through it and to grow us through it. And I, I ask for us to take these next steps that you've laid on our heart uh, and give us the power to work through all the difficulties that we have in life before you, and bring honor and glory to your holy name. I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.